Welcome to Utopian Horizons. Hello and welcome to Utopian Horizons, a podcast where I cover a different utopia, dystopia, utopian thinker or movement in each episode. My name is Paul and today we're going to be talking about The Penultimate Truth, which is a Philip K. Dick novel. It's been a, been quite a while since I've done one of these books. Um, if you're relatively new to the podcast, I kind of uh, made the, the promise a long time ago that I would eventually on this podcast work my way through every Philip K. Dick novel. Um, at the rate I'm doing it, it's probably going to take me about 10 years, but more than that actually, but uh, never mind, slowly but surely I'm getting there. So yeah, it's been a while since I've done one of these, but but we're returning to that today. And again, if you're new, these episodes I've been doing without a guest. So um, this will be a solo episode today. Um, That's what I've done with all the previous Philip K. Dick ones. Uh, And then next episode, we'll be back with a guest as normal. But um, yeah, today, just me. I wanted to say, I've, I've noticed there was a couple of uh, reviews since I last asked for them uh, that appeared to have um, come up on Apple Podcasts. So thanks very much if you've taken the time to do one of those. Um, yeah, as I mentioned in the last one, I think I'd only had one review this year and, and they do help in terms of you know helping the, helping the podcast to be more visible and stuff. So yeah, if you haven't reviewed the podcast yet and you you could take some time to do that, that would be very helpful and much appreciated. The other thing I wanted to mention, since the last episode, um, I've been putting uh, an insane amount of time into learning how to edit videos and making a video that went up on uh, the Utopian Horizons YouTube channel. So yeah, I was basically spending every moment of my free time on that because I didn't know how to uh, edit videos and stuff. And yeah, it was a lot of work. So I would appreciate it if you um, if you wouldn't mind having a watch of the video and seeing if you like it and yeah, giving it a like or maybe sharing it or whatever. Um, it, it's about, what I tried to do is, is kind of take like a point out of the last episode I did on the matrix and kind of expand on that single point and make it into a video with the the vague idea that that might be something I can do in the future like uh, when I've done an episode yeah taking a point out that that might be an interesting one and try to make that into something a bit uh, more structured and to kind of delve into that thing a bit more so in this case I took the idea of the agents and what they represent in the matrix um i kind of tried to link that to stuff going on with black lives matter and things like that so yeah you you should be able to um either just go maybe if you just go to the twitter at utopian horizons you should be able to find it posted somewhere somewhere on there or if you just search for utopian horizons on youtube you should be able to find the channel and yeah hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy that um, I mean, now that I've learned how to make videos, theoretically, it wouldn't take me as much time to do that um, again. But I don't know. It is a lot of work, so I'm not sure how practical that is and whether that's something I'll keep doing, though uh, I do enjoy it. But we'll see. 
Yeah, um, actually, I may as well just tell you the title of the video right now. Uh, it's called Why Karens Are Agents, The Matrix and Systemic Power. So, yeah, it would be cool if you could check that out. Anyway, that is all the stuff I've got to say up front, I think. So let's delve into this um, book written by Philip K. Dick. Oh, and, and again, if you're relatively new to the podcast... I've done uh, a bunch of Philip K. Dick novels already, so they're there to find if you if you want to go back and, and check them out. And I think it's not necessary to like listen to this, but I think it is helpful because um, you get some context on Philip K. Dick uh, as a writer, and like particularly, I guess, in the first episode I did, and the kind of the, he's a he's an author who recycles a lot of uh, ideas and themes, so you'll see the same things kind of continuing to come up um as we go through but anyway this so this novel was published in 1964 this is a dystopian novel and i will give you a i will attempt to give you an, an overview of the plot for those of you who haven't read it so you know what's happening here so we start off this book with a character called nicholas st james who is president of the tom mix the tom mix is an underground shelter uh kind of like what you might find in the fallout games or something like that it's referred to as an ant tank within the parlance of the world this is set in so the and and in these shelters it's it's a very cramped conditions um people live in what referred to as cubbies that word does a lot and kind of giving you a feel of the the conditions i think and how cramped they are in these ant tanks, people produce leddies. Leddies are basically robots um, for a war that is happening above ground between um, Wesdem and Pakpiop, which I presume is meant to be short for something like Western Democracies and uh, what's Pakpiop? Piop is people, obviously. I don't know. Anyway, um, the idea of there being two large uh, unified powers on earth that are fighting against each other is very common in philip k dick novels obviously there's a cold war context there that leads him to uh he's very anxious about uh lots of things but including the cold war and cold war powers so it makes sense that they come up in his fiction a lot and this is another example of that um so yeah we've got these people underground making robots for a war happening above what we find out, however, is that the war ended uh, something like 15 years previously. There's an elite class of people that live on the surface. So there's hardly anyone um, up on Earth. Just uh, like the, the, there's these vast swathes of land, like they describe one of the large areas as a park. Um, they have... They have what they refer to as demenses. So they claim like an area of land and they build their house there, um, which is referred to as a demence. They have these fleets of leddy servants. Um, so yeah, the, the earth's kind of their domain. The vast majority, like 99% of the population are underground in these ant tanks and they think there's a war going on there, which there isn't. Um, th these people on top are referred to as uh, a class, kind of a class called Yantsmen, and they are all engaged in this big conspiracy. One of those is 
Joseph Adams. He's another primary character. His job is to write speeches for Talbot Yancey. Uh, Talbot Yancey is a simulacrum. Uh, Philip K. Dick could have used the word android or something like that. He tends to prefer this term. Um, it suits some of his concepts nicely and resonates with uh, people like Baldria. Um, and we'll return to that and explain why later. But um, yeah, he's a... Uh, an android or a simulacrum in, in Philip K. Dick's words. He's a, a fake president android who gets fed these speeches through a huge computer. Uh, it's multiple people who write these speeches. And then they get broadcast to the public underground on giant TVs um, to kind of keep the fiction going and to kind of keep... as an attempt to kind of placate the people underground, I guess, and keep them doing what they're doing. Um, there's also people whose job it is to like create fake footage of battles. Um, we find out that they're in the process of building a life-size section of San Francisco to destroy for the next kind of stage of the, of the story of what's happening, the next stage of the of the fictional war. Um, so yeah, that those are the, the kind of these two characters stand in for these these two classes, I guess you could say. Um, we find out that the people uh, in the, in the in the Tom mix, this ant tank that Nicholas St James is president of, they are struggling to meet their quota of leddies. So even though they are um, these leddies aren't really needed, there is no war effort going on. They still push people like brutally. They're always at the edge of trying to meet these quotas. I think we could see this to some extent in the real world in terms of the the, the condition the, the conditions that people push to working deemed as kind of being necessary uh the kind of complete fictionality of that is is, is one of the things that philip kiddick's perhaps trying to show us here um yeah so the, even though they're producing these things for, for, for nothing pretty much they're still pushed to their limits their main engineer, who's a guy called Sousa, is dying and that's had a big impact on their ability to meet the quota, which they're not going to meet. He needs a new pancreas. Um, a group of people in the tank essentially force Nicholas St. James, the president, to go up to the surface to try and buy an artificial pancreas on the black market that they believe exists there. Um, they're terrified to go up there because they believe obviously they believe there's this massive um like nuclear war going up there oh i should say the the war, the war did i say this i don't know the idea is that the war is pretty much fought by the leddies that they're producing so there's this big robot war going on up there um yeah so there's a huge war going up there they also believe there's all kinds of like uh these um exotic diseases that you'll get if you go up to the top which they've been told about with weird names like uh yeah the bag plague stink of shrink all kinds of strange diseases so nobody wants to go up there basically they're terrified they're very paranoid about going up and, and particularly getting these diseases so yeah nicholas st james gets forced to go and get pancreas that's his thing the other big thread in this story is that there's a guy called Stanton Bros, who is in charge of the agency that makes all this fake propaganda stuff. He wants to get to a guy called Lewis Runcible, who is a wealthy man who builds apartments for um, 
tankers people that live underground who come up so every now and again like people come up from their tanks for some reason like they uh yeah probably in a similar way from like nicholas st james they need something um and they they get desperate and come up or whatever something happens every now and again people emerge from these tanks and this guy builds apartments to to well house them in or basically imprison them in but anyway Stanton Bros thinks that Lewis Runcible has been alerting the tankers to the fakeness of what's going on. He also just kind of sees him as like a competition for power. So he comes up with a plan to fake to to uh, plant fake alien artifacts on a dig site where Runcible's building. Uh, if if these valuable artifacts were found, that the law would state that the dig has to uh, cease. And they believe that he he knows this and he will try to hide them so that he can get on with doing what he's doing. And that would be illegal. And then they would um, have evidence of this and he would be imprisoned and have all his assets taken. So they're trying to frame... Yeah, they're trying to plant these fake alien artifacts and of, of huge ar- archaeological value and get him uh, out of the picture. There's also a guy called Dave Lantano, who's another Yance man who writes speeches, who turns out later to be a time-travelling Cherokee Indian from the 15th century, who plans to kill Stanton Bros. Um, it's kind of, it's not entirely clear what his whole thing is, but it's it's implied, I think it's implied at the point this is kind of a symbolic vengeance of native american populations who's been a victim of genocide um yeah i think that that's kind of what it's implied to be but anyway he his idea his plan is to assume the role of tolbert yancey the fictional president and tell the tankers that the war has now finished not that it was fake but that the war is now finished and uh slowly bring them up uh you know telling them they have to wait for radiated areas to become uh, safe and stuff like that so sorry if that's confusing but this is a philip k dick novel i think this is actually pretty straightforward for for philip k dick um in terms of plot yeah which isn't saying much but but hopefully that's not too confusing um hopefully you've got the basics of it uh okay so the first thing to say about this um we've got some very obvious uh symbolism going on here in terms of class dynamics we have an an elite class up on earth with complete domain over the earth and all its resources we have a working class crammed into underground ant tanks in bad conditions forced to work at a brutal pace to produce for the class above um as i said they're, they're kind of constantly in desperation of meeting their quota um Sousa, the character I mentioned, even as as he's dying, he's worried about failing to meet the quota. Like they're so obsessed with it, they have harsh punishments if they fail to meet it. Um, so they have rations reduced. There are threats of being drafted into the military to fight in the war, which they're terrified of. Even though, of course, it doesn't exist. It's just like a threat, but they don't know that. And there's, yeah, there's this whole system of propaganda set up to get them to accept these conditions based on fear and paranoia. Um, I don't, I think I've said this before, I don't think you can necessarily categorise Philip K. Dick as a socialist or a communist or something like that. 
I think he's quite hard sometimes to categorise in terms of his politics. Um, certainly, he w- I don't think he would describe himself that way. But he does have these moments of class consciousness. He does tend to side with the working class. He does tend to side with the vulnerable. He is deeply suspicious and critical of power. So it's not particularly surprising to see that he's kind of made this move and represented society in this way. I think this is a clear example of a dystopia being used to try and map out a dystopia that maps out a society that's intended to say, look, look, this is how things really are. Like the elite basically own the earth. They, the conditions you live in and the degree to which you're forced to work are, are in, in a sense, a, f- a fiction, an imposition to maintain this class difference. It's not a necessary thing. And there's a whole there's a whole system of propaganda to get you to accept that. That's a yeah, very clear idea of what he's trying to say about the world that we live in um, and the way society is structured. Um, Stanton Bros, the guy who's in charge of, of this whole system, uh, I think is a, a brilliant avatar for the system he's, he's depicting here. He's a cartoonly obese old um like bulging disgusting man um we have this whole thing of adams kind of feeling sick at the prospect of being in the presence of him like not wanting to even look at him he's kind of you know this vile blob um a a very over the top but fun way of kind of expressing the greed and malevolence of this system like yeah he's very cartoonishly evil and all this um all his organs are artificial so they have um oh i I forgot to say this there was very briefly a a war um that took place it only lasted like a year or something like that but anyway but like pre-war or whatever it was there was um they they were able to produce artificial organs they're not able to produce them anymore but he all his organs are artificial uh save his brain and these are supposed to be available for everybody in the Yance class, but he hoards all of them. Basically, he's kind of found the way. He's the most powerful man in the world. He's found a way to kind of, yeah, ensure that they aren't things aren't like that. And he's got hold on all of them. Um, so yeah, this kind of is the ultimate expression of this hoarding of of resource. Uh, the other thing he hasn't replaced are his ears because he likes not being able to hear so again just like this yeah perfect encapsulation like he's he's is his perfect um representation of this uh hoarding this greed this malevolence this uh and yeah the, the fact he doesn't he can't hear out of his own choice because yeah he doesn't he has no desire to hear other other people he either lip reads or he has um the speeches the speeches that he has to check before they're broadcast out, he has broadcast directly into his brain somehow. So yeah, the, the, the idea that those at the, the top of power don't have to or don't need to listen, um, very obviously represented there. Um, now, another character that we have there, I mentioned Runcible. He's an interesting one. He might seem to be like some kind of hero, 
Um, as I said, he's a wealthy entre- entrepreneur. He builds these apartment blocks for tankers that come up. We might see him as a, we might be encouraged in another um, where this is written by somebody else. We might inc- be encouraged to see him as a hero providing this this technical solution to a problem, much as people might praise uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk or something like that. But that's not the case. Not the case here. Uh, it's made very clear that these are in effect more pleasant prisons like a more pleasant version of the ant tanks underground so they do have i think it's mentioned they have swimming pools there at some point they have electric ranges they have web fur carpets uh webs are dick's favorite alien creature name to use in um all his books i i presume what webs are aliens are not mentioned in this um in this novel other than the fake alien artifacts um so don't yeah dick just of dick just tends to chuck webs in uh in there in his novels here and there wherever so anyway web for carpets they have 3d tvs there's a leddy um for cleaning for each group of 10 people so yeah these are not like terrible places but the people there aren't allowed out so they are effectively nice prisons. This is made pretty clear throughout the book. Um, so, uh, I mean, Philip K. Dick has always been very critical of consumerism. I think these 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 are kind of like consumer prisons with consumer comforts. Um, so I, th- I think he's kind of gesturing towards an idea of an impoverished freedom that is linked to consumerism. So it's like yeah, people are allowed to come out of those dank and brutal places they were in before. Like if you think of, I don't know, like a like a Victorian working class or something like that. And and now you can have a small stake in this society. Um, you can have a taste of this more luxurious life through consumer goods, like a, a small taste of what the elite have. Uh, and that way you're kind of, in the society a bit uh i think perhaps philip k dix wants to show that this is not a, a true freedom this is another version of the the same thing it's nicer than the conditions before but it doesn't mean that you're free the people in these places still don't have power their lives are still defined by the powerful so i think that's something that's going on there i like the fact that we don't yeah, the principle is not depicted as a as a hero necessarily. I think so. Yeah, as a kind of way out of this of this system, or as a solution to the the problem, principle is is not supposed to be one. I think. Uh, I mean, where where else we have to ask them? Where else might we might we look? What could be the way of kind of resolving this injustice in the society? Perhaps through the moral compass of those who are involved in perpetuating it. So um, Adams, the character, we mentioned the Yance man who writes speeches. He feels very bad about um, what's going on. Uh, there's some points where they make comparisons to the, the final solution. He, yeah, he, he, he knows and constantly is kind of, has this source of great internal conflict of, that what they're doing is fundamentally wrong. He, he considers, he is, he's embroiled in the plot to um get runcible he's pr- supposed to produce some fake national geographic articles about 
the alien artifacts or something. Um, he considers alerting Runcible to the plan to bring him down. He, he ultimately doesn't. Um, if we can see, if we can see Runcible as being like a, a representation of the businessman as solution, I think you could look at this as being a representation representation of the liberal as solution as a, a kind of possible solution. So, yeah, he's kind of a part of the system, but recognizes the problems there and, and it produces yeah he's, he's he's concerned about it um but yeah there's a question of what he does about it so something that lantano says about adams to another character he says um what he does at least produces conflict in him but he goes along after and during the doubts he has them but he goes along so yeah he's he's one of these people I think this is often common in the in the liberal mindset. Like he he kind of has his morals that he expresses, or he he has things that he feels like he believes in, but he doesn't actually do anything. Like he just keeps the the system just keeps going. And indeed, it's important that you have these. <laughs> the system I think relies system always relies on uh, people who are not true believers who are nevertheless prepared to keep implementing it this reminded me of a martin luther king quote which i think about all the time now uh, i think it's uh very relevant uh in our current moment so this is from uh i think this is from his prison letters or something uh but anyway he said i must confess that over the past few years i have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride towards freedom is not the white citizen's counsellor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate, who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. So yeah, Adams reminded me of, of that kind of person. And I think that, I think you have to be careful with how you, you think about this because it's very easy to like sound like you are saying that liberals are worse than like literal fascists, which is, isn't the case. But the, I think it, I do think it's worth considering the idea to which they are more of a problem, in the sense of fa fascists are quite often uh, beyond the point of redemption. Like you're not going to a you're not going to convince those on the extreme right to. I then maybe you you can now and again. I I don't want to say that you can never like bring people back from from that, and I think that does happen and has happened. But for the most part, you're not going to like convince the extreme right to create a, a liberatory and truly equal utopian society. Um, liberals are or, or often claimed to be fundamentally on or to have many of the same goals and ideals as those on on the left proper um they would they would say they would like to see the, the kinds of society that that the left would would like to create but they um they can always find a reason not to 
And certainly there have been times where, I guess if you think of when Obama was at the height of his power and kind of had control of the um, political uh, institutions in the US, you think, so this is when the, the liberal order kind of had an opportunity and power to do something about a lot of things and actually did very little in terms of changing the fundamental structure of society because fundamentally it, it, it kind of suits them for the most part and they can like to f- they can feel nice about themselves by saying that they are against racism and stuff like this but as in Martin Luther King's uh, speech they they prefer um order over justice uh, they prefer a negative peace over a positive peace and this idea of yeah i agree with the goal you seek i cannot agree with your methods methods of action just look at the way that the that liberals will respond to things like uh, Black Lives Matter, or or the calls to defund defund the police, um, and things like that. Look at the way that the look at the way that they will collapse onto the side of the right when it comes to things like Antifa. So yeah, uh, liberals that allow the system to kind of go on as it is uh, while professing to have different principles this is the kind of person that adams is i think it's well represented there and it reminds me of that quote and i think it's something that's always worth being aware of when you're looking at um what the challenges are like today uh, in terms of what we need to to deal with i think yeah this is one of the reasons i think it's um like uh, the left is always kind of often criticized for bashing liberals um as maybe more so than their I guess he would say would be the true enemy on the right but but this is why I think there's uh well I don't know if you could just say bashing liberals is a good thing to do but this is why I think a focus on critiquing liberalism and liberals is is actually worthwhile uh and and makes sense to do um anyway let's move on so the what is it another potential way out of this would be dave lantano the guy who's planning to kill bros and um, take over the role of yancey and start bringing the tankers up so he's a a guy who comes from an oppressed group he's a a native american by the way he's nobody knows this apart from uh who works out one of the characters works out i don't know everybody thinks he's got radiation burns because he's a young yance man who's kind of gone people as i said people have to claim these areas to build their homes in he's gone in they often go in early because um otherwise they tend to get snapped up by the more powerful and people often die like trying to live in these radioactive zones so people think he's got radiation burns but anyway he's also kind to the tankers that comes up there's some that live in the cheyenne ruins who didn't want to go into what they describe as as prisons lewis Municipal's prisons um so he might seem like a a potential way out um i I should also say there's all kinds of problems i think around his depiction as a native american uh i don't think they're so relevant for our purposes here but just want to acknowledge that anyway he's not really depicted as being uh a the right way out again though we find out that he's orchestrated multiple assassinations to bring adams to the point where he believes he will agree to kill bros uh, including killing adams's best friend and pinning it on bros there's a character called foot who i haven't mentioned uh i'm not gonna 
explain anything about him because it would just get too long. But he he says, describing this character, Dave Lantano, and, and, and this, these assassinations and the things he's been doing, this sort of thinking, this method of problem solving tended to develop its own momentum. Uh, he talks about how the idea of, of what is necessary he says necessary is a favorite word of those who yearn for power uh, he says that only necessity is an internal one um, fulfilling their own drives so there's this idea that yeah um lantano is kind of trying to potentially trying to liberate people but he's he's kind of he's on this road to power and it's necessarily corrupting and he's able to justify anything that he wants to do as necessary and he's been killing all these people so yeah um that is is uh seems to be a problem as well so in terms of what the way out might be we will uh, all these people clearly not viable we'll return to what that is later now i want to move on to talk about the uh something significant in this book which i think is that this society is unable to produce new things so right from the beginning of the novel where we how uh, there's a bit talking about adams's marble top desk it explains to us that all this stuff that he has is salvaged bits of the old world old world so this class this yansman class everything they have is is dug up like they have all this stuff but it's all, all dug up from the old world they can't actually produce anything these are all artifacts of a, a world that's gone um Again, I've mentioned this before in previous episodes, but heroes in Philip K. Dick's work are often people that can produce or repair in some way. This is partly a part of his, uh, partly related to his kind of cosmic fear of entropy um, as part of that. But also, I think, an idea that pure consumption is evil and this idea that this is a society of, of pure consumption that this that this represent this society is a society of pure consumption that represents some kind of evil the working class are at least able to produce which is kind of a way of bat- battling entropy so that's part of what's going on here um what they do produce here are fakes so as i mentioned uh footage of cities being destroyed fake cities um they produce fake artifacts for this plot to oust runcible uh fake articles to go in the in the uh natural world journals they adams mentions at one point like when they talk he's thinking about the artificial organs uh they could make a heart but it would be a simulated heart like it would be a fake fake like not like the fake hearts that actually work the artificial hearts they could produce a fake version of that that wouldn't actually do anything um this is extended into other kind of areas. So there's a, a thing called a rhetorizer, which is like a machine that does speeches for you. So you give it, so um, we see Adams give it the word squirrel and the adjective smart, and then it starts reading off these sentences. So they use this to help them make speeches. And he says he's kind of become, or they've become hooked on the machine. So even outside of the physical realm, they lack the ability to produce like culturally or artistically, if you want to think about it that way. Um, he uses f- phrases wrong, he said incorrectly. He says, I'll purchase that instead of I'll buy that. So even the kind of phrases they use are being dug up from the past. 
um, they can't even use it correctly. Uh, so yeah, again, this kind of idea of not being able to produce culturally. So what's going on here? Um, I mean, Patreon listeners probably know where I'm going to go from the Catalyst Realism series I've been doing there. Um, Mark Fisher talks a lot about late capitalism being unable to produce new ideas. Uh, Frederick Jameson also talks about this, the idea of uh, in under the condition of post-mo- post-modernity, um, old styles being constantly recycled through uh, pastiche because of this kind of paralysis, this inability of producing, able to produce anything new. So th- things like neo-noir, things like um, the kind of style of someone like Quentin Tarantino, who's constantly referencing like old genres and forms and films and so on. Now, postmodernity as a kind of cultural force, I guess, is not, or as an e- economic, depending how you want to think about postmodernity, whatever. It, I don't think it's necessarily completely underway at the time this book is written and comes out, but I think Philip K. Dick sees some of these things coming. These ideas are often linked in some way to consumerism. And Philip K. Dick's often writing about consumerism. So I think he has an awareness, conscious or not, of what that culture was going to produce. So I think that's perhaps why you see this idea coming up a lot in Philip K. Dick. Um, Fakes and copies, of course, one of Philip K. Dick's repeating themes, as is Simulacra. Uh, we have that in the sense of the simulacra of Tolbert Yancey. We have that in the artifacts I mentioned, which are, I guess, an example of a simulacra in the sense that Baudrillard uses it, uh, a copy without an original. That's Jean Baudrillard, the French philosopher. And there's this idea of the simulacra um, being about reality losing something. Um, explicitly within Baudrillard, the idea that meaning has been replaced by pure symbols and signs, um, kind of, uh, it's been kind of accomplished through media and culture, and where we've gotten to the point where it's no longer that we look behind the fake and we find the real there. Um, we're now at the stage where the fake is is all there is. Like there's there's nothing of substantiality behind that. Tied up in all these examples I've given is an idea of reality slipping away in some sense. Um, so, for example, the phrase I mentioned that Adam uses incorrectly, um, he forgets the word for pen momentarily. Um, like I said, they, they can't, they're digging up all this stuff from the old world, which they kind of lost some connection to, which seems more real in some way. Um, I think this expresses an anxiety that goes slightly beyond the idea of the fake hiding the real and gets towards the kind of ideas that people like Baudrillard are later going to develop. It taps, it all taps into the sense of surface that Jameson, Frederick Jameson and Baudrillard talk about when they're talking about uh, late capitalism. And these, the, like I said, the idea that all these, yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, the idea of this, they could produce a fake of a fake of this heart. Um, the idea that, they are losing their connection to the they're losing the the meaning behind these phrases these words they don't know what they are they're losing all this stuff just has a, a surface about it it's a kind of surf, very surface reality um and actually it's interesting that Baudrillard moves through consumerism to get to the point 
of where he is talking about simulacra. So some of his books, uh, The System of Objects is 1968, The Consumer Society is 1970, For a Critique of the Political Economy of the Sign is 1972. These are all very concerned with consumerism. It's not until 1981 that we get to simulacra and simulation. I think Philip K. Dick is already working through the ideas of consumerism being in some way interrelated with fakes, copies, um, and impoverishment of reality uh, at a fundamental level in the 60s and the 70s. Obviously, he's doing it in a less systematic way, um, perhaps not like a conscious way even, but I think that's part of the value in how he plays with the ideas, and I think he anticipates what's coming um, earlier than a lot of other people. I think, yeah, so that's that's one of the values of Dick's dystopias, I guess, like dystopia in general, like the way they allow you to think through what is uh, going on in society, where that is potentially leading. I think that, yeah, they are, he can be quite philosophically sophisticated if sometimes confused, but yeah, he's he's playing with all these ideas very early on. Another thing that this is kind of related to that I wanted to talk about is authority under authority in postmodernity. So the idea of images, surface, uh, mediation, brought to a representation of the way authority is constructed under postmodernity. So the the idea of the modern politician as an image that is constructed. Uh, quite common now I think um, I think that someone I think Philip K Dick might or other people might as well juxtapose somebody like Roosevelt who's probably seen as a more authentic person um, kind of comparing that to the emergence of a more of, of the construction of an image um, kind of prefiguring the era of PR consultants um you know, make up make over people that we have today who kind of construct images for politicians who tell them what they should and shouldn't say he tried to make Gordon Brown smile uh, that kind of thing uh Yancey is an example of Philip K Dish Philip K Dick pushing this to an extreme so he's he's not a person with a constructed image a construct he, he is a constructed image that's all he all he is he's completely fake and there's a whole yeah, um, infrastructure to, to do that these speech writers these propaganda broadcasts there are polcom officers in every ant tank to make sure the messages are being interpreted correctly it says yeah this cultivated authority of um, a fictional presence um dave lantano says at one point that every world leader has had some fictional aspect especially during the last century so again, the idea that reality is losing substantiality is being repeated. The idea that authority is fundamentally changed into kind of being an image construction. So this 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 idea of the fake being extended to the this idea of like authority. And Yancey is a way of representing that in its kind of ultimate form, this complete uh, construction. Um, this system actually works quite well in the novel. Like it's quite effective in terms of people believe it and so on and so forth um but i just want to it, it chimes with some stuff i was listening to recently about authority under neoliberalism or like capitalism 
which is a, talking about a kind of general degradation in the extent that people trust authority. Uh, in some ways, this, of course, isn't a bad thing, but in some ways it very much is. So you think of, for example, the distrust of science, which you'll see through anti-vaxxers, uh, uh, people, coronavirus conspiracy people, uh, climate change, people don't believe in climate change. Uh, we see it through the fundamental distrust of politicians which is for the most part well earned uh fundamental distrust of the state and the idea that the state might that anything the state might want to do would be good like if you think of something like a, a new the new deal that happened in america or the or the national health service in the uk like people don't imagine the state doing something like that like actually doing something to help people being a, a force for good um one of the effects of this um, in these uh, various things I was up read, listening to, um, it was argued is that this manifests in the, the prevalence of conspiracy theory. Um, conspiracy theory, of course, really picks up in the 60s uh, with the JFK assassination has kind of grown since um, and roughly congruent with the emergence of neoliberalism. So the so that idea, um, the idea uh, that was being suggested was the kind of neoliberalism has uh, undermined the idea of the state uh, as a positive force, both ideologically and uh, literally by kind of impoverishment, impoverishing its ability to to act. So yeah, there's been a kind of degradation in people's mistrust of authority, which which, which kind of helps to feed. Uh, conspiracy theory so yeah we've got now like as i said covid conspiracies QAnon, which are actually quite significant um forces now uh uniting some rather bizarre demographics uh in some cases like nazis and new age hippies together uh with some of these causes so it's quite it's actually quite significant uh like the the power and sway that conspiracy theory has and how uh how it's able to stand up to scrutiny not in the sense that it's coherent or anything like that but but these um ideas remain strong and grow and it's difficult to undermine them because yeah because people don't trust authority uh or like traditional they don't, yeah they don't trust science they don't trust government uh don't trust official sources um Again, they in many cases they're right not to, but that's part of the problem of of, kind of um, impoverishing these institutions. And uh, is, is that now you, you can't use them when you need to, uh, when it's for for in in directions where it's necessary. So there is, is a lot of conspiracy theory in this novel, uh, actually. And I mean, Philip K. Dick is a very conspiratorial thinker for sure, very concerned with paranoid and very paranoid himself. Um, we have, for example, a character uh, who's only appears early on in the novel quite briefly, who's been recording Yancey's speeches and notices inconsistencies in pronunciation. So she knows something's going on. Uh, she points out that the whole idea of him of uh, not being able to get an artificial pancreas is the idea that all the artificial organs are saved for the military hospitals, but the war is being fought by leddies uh, who don't need organs, so it doesn't actually make any sense. Um, 
the, 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 the system of power itself is founded on conspiracy. There's two documentaries that were produced to rework history to show the British as the bad guys who effectively caused the Holocaust. The idea that they kind of pushed Hitler into a psychotic paranoia uh, due to their unwillingness to grasp the real looming menace, which was Stalinist Russia. Uh, again, very relevant to today. Like fascist apologists are now so scared of of um, the spectre of communism that they'll kind of collapse onto the side of fascism um, quite willingly uh, whenever they they think that socialism might be coming for them. Um, significant here is that there are obviously people who lived through the period, but nevertheless, the 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 kind of uh, the propaganda worked on them. This idea that ideologies can be powerful enough to, to work on people who, whose own experience shows them directly otherwise, which is, uh, yeah, I think, um, worthwhile way of thinking about ideology. Uh, it's the whole idea is that yeah, they produce these documentaries where the um, where uh, FDR was a communist agent collaborating with Stalin who agreed to set up democracy and let the Soviets move through Europe. So there's, yeah, all this conspiratory thinking around there. So Philip K. Dick in this book, I would say, doesn't show conspiracy emerging out of this new form of authority in the way that that um, I was suggesting that, uh, and uh, well, not me, others that I've been listening to have suggested, but he does make some links between this idea of constructed simulacra of authority and conspiracy so he could perhaps intuit something there i don't know but yeah i just thought there was a way of uh yeah talking around that issue that i think is yeah something we need to deal with um is the, is the prevalence of conspiracy and conspiratorial thinking and uh it's a quite significant political force now that, that needs to be dealt with in some way um let's return to the the ending and the idea of where we go to in the force of like how we resolve this this problem here well at the end of the book uh nicholas st james goes back to his ant tank after successfully getting a pancreas he takes adams with him who's worried about being killed up top and he plans to pass on what he's learned about what the truth of the situation is up top to create what he refers to as a worldwide network of uh, angry wasps kind of emerging from their nests underground. Um, Lantano kind of ends up successful. We realise at the end, uh, he announces that the war is over on the TVs underground. Then there's, after it happens, then Adams and Nicholas kind of split. They realise that in this new situation, and, we, and, and it's kind of very clear then about the very clear awareness about the importance of ideology or of a, a narrative, uh, the idea that there's always going to be competing stories. So Adam starts thinking about, okay, what's the story going to be to get these people up? Like, how are we going to do it? How are we going to, yeah, how are we going to do it without kind of, without creating this network of angry wasps. Um, Nicholas just wants people to know, Nicholas St. James just wants people to know the truth. Um, they, they come to, Adams kind of comes to this idea that what they would do, they would create another layer of fakery, like a double fake, where they will acknowledge that the war was completely fictional and there was no war. But 
they will say that the surface was still radioactive from the war and they had to make up the fictionality that the war was still going on because otherwise people would have come up out of desperation and, and died so they kind of made this fake to keep them safe from uh, the radioactivity so they kind of you know, acknowledge the fake in a fake way <laughs> um so yeah this layering of artificials this layering of artificialities where realities become very hard reality becomes very hard to discern which um philip k dick is constantly concerned with uh nicholas st james kind of resolves that you know will not allow you to do this he he wants people to know what happened so yeah there's going to be these two competing stories there's going to be a, a, a fight there well i would say I, I like the way that that dick kind of rejects all these individual characters as a resolution to the problem at least gestures to kind of a collectivity as a solution to the problem as the kind of ethical way out like the working class as a whole is the way to deal with this injustice to like give them yeah this kind of uh consciousness and allow them to act as a class and without anybody else kind of managing or controlling what they should do how they should respond um so i think that's a nice yeah it's a nice way of trying to kind of um point to a direction out of this fundamental problem that he establishes at the start of the novel um yeah this has been uh, quite a bit longer than i anticipated so i don't think i will say anything else about this book let me see what i'm going to do next for philip k dick um again it was probably going to be like a year before i get to it again but nevertheless let's have a look okay so we're on to we've done all the novels that were published in 1964 by philip k dick there were four i believe so we're on to 1965 so we could do dr blood money or how we got along after the bomb or we could do the three stigmata of palmer eldridge no, wait, Free Stigma, Free Stigma of Palmer Eldridge is 1960. No, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I uh, let's do Dr. Blood Money. So Do- Dr. Blood Money will be the next one that I do, uh, whenever that is. Thank you very much for listening to this, if you're still here. Um, if you want to hear more from me, if you want to help to support this podcast and, and help me to keep doing this and uh, ideally help me to do it more regularly, then you can head to patreon.com slash utopian horizons where you can uh, get access to a whole bunch of bonus episodes that I've been doing. Uh, you can get in touch with me with questions or, or anything uh, on Twitter at utopian horizons. You can email me on utopian horizons pod at gmail.com. As I mentioned at the beginning of the video, at uh, the beginning of the video, as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, it'd be very cool if you could check out that video that I made on uh, that's on up on youtube and yeah reviews would be cool if you got time to do that uh but that's enough for me this is way too long for just me speaking uh i'll be back next time with a guest so you won't have to listen to an hour of me talking again uh cheers for listening and i'll see you then bye (coughs)